Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Steve Fowler. Hey, a lot of years ago, Trina and I were running some errands, and we took our car, and we, we drove to a store, we parked the car on the street, and we went and ran our errands, uh, weren't in the store very long, came out of the store, and as we were walking up to our car, I noticed there was some broken glass around the back of the car, and uh, found out that the back window of our car had been broken, and that the, uh, the boom box... It, Anyone remember boomboxes? The boombox that we naively left in the back seat was gone. Uh, It had been been taken. Uh, It was the beginning of a lot of break-ins in our car. We didn't live in the most safe city or the most safe neighborhood. um, And we lost several car stereos, which actually then led to me spending more money than we had on a car alarm system. Uh, We then went on a trip. We parked our car at the airport, went on this trip, and then came back to the airport, uh, went back to the parking garage to get our car, and only to discover once again that it had been broken into. And another stereo had been pried from the dashboard. Um, and, you know, you know the disappointment of when something you're trying to protect or care for gets taken or stolen. You know the disappointment that sinks in and sometimes even the anger that's expressed. But it also, uh, in that, that, that the sense of disappointment and in, 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 in anger can intensify when we're not just talking about stuff, when we're talking about protecting ourselves or those we love. And we, we will go to significant lengths to protect each other or to protect ourselves. Uh, a young woman goes for a run in a park and she has to carry a can of pepper spray with her just in case there's a would-be attacker that would cross her path. Some of you in the room dread uh, the flu so much. You dread the aches, the, the, the fevers, the, uh, the, sh- the shivers, the, the nausea that sets in that leads to the, the blowing of chow is the only thoughtful way I could say it uh, in church. And you dread that experience so much that every time the flu vaccine comes out, you, you, you're, like, you're in line. You get your flu vaccine shot. Or you pledged your life to someone and your future to someone who eventually would wound your spirit. It began with you could do nothing right. Every problem that took place was your fault. And it intensifies, and you tried as hard as you could to please that person uh, that you were trying to, 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 to love, and nothing worked. In fact, it's in some ways, some, some, some physical stuff started to happen. You got slapped a couple times, but it was your fault that it happened. And as it progressed and the relationship disintegrated, you built a fortress around your heart, and you told yourself that you would never give your affection or your emotions to someone else again. We protect ourselves in so many different ways. And if you think about who we are in, in these days, th- this just gets multiplied, right? I mean, we've got, we got security systems on our houses so that we can protect ourselves from prowlers. We have, we have baby monitors in the nursery that keep, help us keep an eye on the infant when they take a nap or when they're sleeping at night. We wear bike helmets when we go on bike rides because if we have a crash, we don't want to cut ourselves or get a concussion. We have expiration dates on our food because we don't want to eat anything tainted and become sick. And we put warning labels on everything. On five-gallon buckets so a, a child won't drown in the, in the bucket. We, we put them on our music to, to warn that the, the lyrics are explicit. We even put them on our strollers that, and warn, warn us that make sure you take your child out before you fold the stroller and put it in the closet. 
We take vitamins to make sure we avoid the, uh, the flu. We put childproof locks on our kitchen cupboards so that household supplies aren't, aren't they don't get accessed by our, by our children. We got smoke alarms in our houses in case there's a fire and the smoke goes off. It'll send off this piercing sound uh, when we're sleeping. And by the way, why do the batteries always get drained at like 3 a.m. in the morning and that chirp goes off? I don't know why it doesn't go off in the day. Another story, side story, uh, and, and we, you know, we, uh, we have a hundred different passwords and we update them on three to every three to six months and we have two-factor authentication because we're protecting ourselves from, ha- from hackers and cyber criminals. We long for protection and we want to be protected. And Jesus, in our series that we're calling Crave, has been speaking to our core longings. Uh, just a little reminder, in the first week, we just talked about the idea that, that we have this core longing for uh, the quality and quantity of life. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, we long to be led well. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. We long for revelation and insight. And Rob Bastian did a great job last week talking to us about that. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And today, we're going to be looking at a statement by Jesus where he says, I am the door. Or in some of your Bible translations, it'll say, I am the gate. And he's speaking to our longing for protection. And Jesus is saying, I am the only one who provides life. I am the only one who leads you well. I am the only one who provides revelation and insight. And I am the only one who could care for you and protect you in the way that you long to be protected. If you've got your Bibles, go to John chapter 10. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of this passage. And uh, Jesus, a little context for you, Jesus has just called uh, the Pharisees blind guides. He's, uh, there's, there's tension in the conversation. And Jesus then will go on to say this. He'll say, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the door. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is God's holy word. Jesus says, I am the door, I am the gate. And our first image might be, well, he's talking about access. He's talking about, you know, he's talking about salvation. And certainly there are overtones of salvation. But more importantly, what he's talking about is safety and protection. Here's a picture of a, a sheep pen. It's a little bit blurry, but it's, it's the best one I could find to kind of give us an idea of what a biblical sheep pen might look like. They would take stones, stack them up, and this would be a place where the sheep would be brought in at night. Sheep are brought in the sheep pen at night, and, uh, and a shepherd who is taking care of the sheep is going to build a fire uh, somewhere close to that doorway or that gateway there into the sheep pen. And then what that shepherd is going to do is when it's time to go to sleep, he's actually going to sleep in that gap, in that door. 
And what he, why he's doing this is because the wild animals, lions and bears, if they were to try and get access to the sheep, they're going to have to go through the shepherd. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the door, he's saying, look, I, people, I'm going to protect you. And, and, and if any thief comes, they're going to have to go through me. And he talks about other thieves that they're climbing over walls because they don't want to go through him. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about two thieves. I want to talk about two results of Jesus being our door, our gate. And then I want to talk about how that applies for us today, October 31st, 2021. The two thieves, two things Jesus promises, and then what that means for us today. So we'll we'll jump in. Here's thief number one. This is why this shepherd is sleeping in that gate, in that door. Thief number one is the thief of religion. Jesus is having a very intense conversation with the Pharisees, and he's going after them. And he's, and he's talking about them being robbers. And, and if you've been in church any length of time, or maybe this is your first time in church, you, you need to know this. These Pharisees, they're, they're, there's a lot of conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. And Jesus is going to let them have it. And, and yet, while the Pharisees get very little love in church, can we just give them a little bit of love here for a moment? Because I think it's important you understand how this all began. Because they write all kinds of rules and they put heavy burdens on people. And it's right that Jesus is upset with them. But it all began with some understanding of how God treats his people. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there's this idea of blessings and cursings. Meaning that if you obeyed God, life would go well. New Testament, it, it, it goes different. In the Old Testament, you obey, life goes well. If you disobey, bad things happen. So... Um, one of the, the, the curses that comes on the people when you're disobeying is that you will be conquered by foreign nations. Uh, we'll put Deuteronomy chapter 28 up on the screen. I'll just read a few selected lines from this chapter. But this is from those blessings and cursings. It says, if you refuse to obey the Lord, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. A foreign nation you have never heard about will oppress you and treat you harshly. So this is in the Pharisees' mind. This is in the religious leaders' mind. If there's a foreign nation oppressing us, we've done something wrong. Well, Greece has oppressed them. Now Rome is oppressing them. And so the Pharisees have come to this conclusion that we have got to get our people to live in in, in more holiness. And so they cast a vision for personal holiness. And the vision that they cast, this holiness campaign that they cast, is they, they, they want every house to be a temple. And they take the regulations and the laws that were intended only for the priests who have different work schedules and different resources, and they take those, those commandments for the priests and they lay them on the backs of everybody. And not everyone can afford to keep all the holy days or engage in all the sacrifices. And the poor certainly can't. And they can't take days off because they're working their fields. They're just trying to survive. And and the Pharisees say, no, you have to do this because every house needs to be a temple. And we need to usher in uh, the, the true Israel. And when people were not just sinning in the sense that maybe they lied or maybe they stole, but the sin became you didn't go to that festival, you didn't offer that sacrifice, or you didn't wash your hands right, or you, you didn't eat the right thing on the right day. And it just began, became a burden on people. And it led to the Pharisees feeling like they were superior. It led to self-righteousness for those who were tracking with the Pharisees, this moral superiority. And it, it was shown through legalism. 
And, and by the way, Jesus is critiquing, quite seriously, the Pharisees. He's using all the words, okay? You blind guides. You whitewashed tombs. You brood of vipers. You family of snakes. You, you, you sons of hell. You should be bringing heaven to earth, but actually what you're doing is you're creating hell on earth. He's using all the words. He's, he's got some pretty strong language for the Pharisees. And it's all rooted in their legalism. And let me just define legalism. It's a pretty, pretty general term, but I'll just put these words up on the screen because I think it's important we know what a legalist is. A legalist believes the rules are an end in themselves. So for the Pharisees, it's, you obey the rules, you're good with God. And maybe you, you grew up in a, in, a, in a time, or maybe you even believe today, as long as I obey the rules, God's happy with me. That's, that's what a legalist would teach. Second thing a legalist, legalist would say is they keep the letter of the law at the expense of the spirit of the law. Meaning, if you're driving down I-5 and the speed limit is 65, you're always going to drive right at 65. If it's sunny out, you're driving 65. If there's black ice on the road, you're going to drive 65. That sounds ridiculous. But think about how ridiculous it is that the Pharisees are mad at Jesus for healing a leper on the Sabbath. Oh, it's the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. They care more about policy than they do people. Third thing about a legalist you should know is they add commandments to the commandments. If the sign says stay 10 feet away from the cliff, we're going to step back 20 feet from the cliff. We're going to add more rules because we don't want you to blow it because we have a holiness campaign and we want every house to be a temple. And they add rules upon the rules. I mean, there were so, there were so few commandments and when the Pharisees were done, there were 613. It's, it's legalism. And aren't you so glad that doesn't happen today? <laughs> but you, you know it pops up. And, and we get sucked into it because this is our default. You remember the Jeff Foxworthy routine that he's a comedic routine he would do that, you know, you might be a redneck if. Hey, the reason he did all that is because people who were rednecks didn't, didn't believe they were rednecks. So he created pictures to help you understand and self-identify. So I'm going to help us do some uh, help here. Do a little routine called, you might be a legalist. And by the way, if any of these offend you, take heart. I'm trying to offend all of us. So by the time we get going here, we'll make sure we hit everybody, okay? So just relax. Their turn's coming. All right. If your blood pressure rises when you see someone wearing a hat in church, you might be a legalist. If the consumption of beer or wine or tobacco is taboo, but overeating and being overweight isn't, you might be a legalist. If you think being divorced is the unforgivable sin, you might be a legalist. Tattoos? Come on. If you think being a Christian predetermines your political affiliation, you might be a legalist. If you think your pastor is on, the, on thin ice for talking about legalism, yeah, you're, you're probably right. You're probably right. Look, look, here's the deal. Jesus came full of truth and grace. The beautiful thing of truth and grace together. 
And Jesus lived this. And when people come to church, they, they hear about grace. And when they encounter religion, the thief of religion, they're just devastated. It is so oppressive. And Jesus, if you have strong words for religious performance-based approaches to God, you need to know Jesus has stronger words. Because this is one of the thieves that he's very concerned about. And he will say, I am the door because there are sheep who long for protection. But that's just thief number one. Here's thief number two. Thief number two is rebellion. It's quite the opposite of religion. Religion says, you can't do, you can't do, you can, don't, don't do. And rebellion says, do whatever you want. And it all begins this, with this. One author says this, this way, says that sin always begins with the character assassination of God. I mean, did God really say, I mean, really, is that the way we're supposed to live? I mean, it just sounds so medieval. I mean, that may, have, that may have been the case years ago, but, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten smarter and wiser. We've progressed some. And so, I mean, this, this is really the, the, the way we can live now. And sin always begins with the character assassination of God. And while one thief is the thief of religion, the other thief is the re- thief of rebellion. Say, do whatever you want. It's a sense of freedom and personal autonomy. And, and, and this, this is a value, uh, you know, even today. And in fact, the brother of Jesus will go after this and he will talk about, here's the pathway. We need to know this. There's a pathway in which people deconstruct their faith. At one point in time, they were walking with Jesus, and then they began deconstructing, and this is what it looks like. James chapter 1, James, the the brother of Jesus, writes, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let me just put it all together, because here's the pathway. It begins with doubt. And then it goes to desire, and then it goes to disobedience, and then it goes to death. It begins with doubt. I'm not talking about the kind of questions, the, the, the questions we might ask about, I mean, well, how do I know for sure? And those, we're talking about the doubt, doubting the character of God, the goodness of God, the justice of God, the truth of God. See, it begins there. And by the way, when you're, when you're, you're having those questions in your mind about, about you know, doubting who God is, you don't see death. You don't even think about that. That's not even on your radar. But when, when the doubts become uh, progressive, they, 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 what they do is they give birth to desires that you haven't had before. And when you're having those desires, friends, guess what? You, you, you don't think about death. In fact, when those desires are beginning to be lived out and you get to disobedience, you don't, you don't have any sense or whiff of death because what you're feeling is freedom. And sometimes what's, ex- what's expressed is, man, I've never felt so, so free. It's almost like a conversion experience. And you don't see death there, but when death comes, you are bitter and you are angry. And I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about death of marriages, death of friendships. I'm talking about death of physical health, all kinds of death that's taking place in our world today. And what James is trying to get us to understand, friends, is that rebellion is an illusion. It's an illusion. And the expectations won't be experienced in reality. And boy, if there's any better modern-day parable for this, it's an event that was called the Fire Festival. Maybe you've seen a documentary on Netflix, or there's a, I think there's a couple documentaries out there. 
The fire festival was uh, a festival that was planned by uh, the founders of a fire app, uh, Billy McFarlane, Ja Rule, American rapper, and um, they were promoting this app, and this app was going to be a way for you to cut through all the red tape to bypass the agents of musicians and celebrities. And to launch the app, they planned a festival in the Bahamas. They hired supermodels. Uh, They paid Kendall Jenner $250,000 to promote the event on Instagram. And um, and, and then they they flew some of these these models down to the Bahamas to to create a video about this is going to be this amazing event and we're going to launch our app and you can be there. And um, and so they took took these seductive pictures of these uh, supermodels and put them in in, in the water and they're they're, they're inviting you to the fire fest. And they get overhead and they look down the water and the water's beautiful and who wouldn't want to swim in that? In fact, they even threw pigs in the water because who doesn't want to swim with pigs? That'd be awesome. And then they, they talked about hiring a star chef, uh, Stephen Star, actually, from, from New York. And he was going to come, and he was going to take Bahamian seafood and create Bahamian-style sushi. And it was going to be top-of-the-line food. It's this merging of, of beautiful people and, and the arts and great food. It was all going to come together. And, oh, yeah, and there was going to be lots of fun. There'd be jet skis, and you could go snorkeling with, um, among shipwrecks. And there was concerts. There was music. And who wants, doesn't want to be a part of that? That's going to be a ball. And there's going to be cabanas on the beach. And here's a sketch of what they're going to look like. And it all gets promoted. And, oh, by the way, the slogan is, on the boundaries of the impossible. Boundaries of the impossible. I mean, what are you doing next weekend? Do you want to go to the boundaries of the impossible? 5,000 people did. And they paid a lot of money to go and participate in the fire festival. And there were no swimming pigs. And there were no concerts. There were no celebrities. Oh, the, the star chef? Well, it, he didn't come, so they served food that looked like this. Oh, those, those, those cabanas that you saw the sketches of, uh, they, they didn't have those. They used FEMA tents, like for a crisis. And people showed up, and they were disappointed. And the illusion never became a reality. I want you to hear me clearly on this. Sin is the fire festival in slow motion. Sin, rebellion is the fire festival in slow motion. When you're deconstructing and when you got these desires and then you start living them out, you don't see the end result until you get to the end result. And Jesus is saying, I want to protect you from that. I am your door. I am your gate. I want what's best for you. And there are a lot of voices out there saying, this is what's best for you. But friends, they don't lead to a destination of a flourishing life. They actually lead to emotions that are captured well by a street mural, which, by the way, was the number one search street mural in 2015. It was done by a guy guy named iHeart, and the, the title of the street mural is called Nobody Likes Me. It's a painting of a little boy screaming, holding his phone, no one following, no likes, No comments, and it's isolation and loneliness, meaninglessness. And you might be saying, well, that's not true. I mean, I'm I'm not doing what what, what God says I'm doing. I'm I'm finding quite a bit of meaning. Well, I mean, 
Sure, you can, but I'm just telling you, it's the fire festival. Because the end result, when it's all said and done, Jesus is the one who says it leads to death. Two thieves, religion, rebellion. Now here's what Jesus says to us. Jesus says, this is first thing, we'll put it, we'll put it up here on the screen. He says, you will be able, you will know which voice, you'll be equipped to know which voice to pay attention to. You have to realize there are so many voices that are clamoring for your attention. And Jesus says, you will know my voice and I will lead you to life. This metaphor of sheep and sheep pens, it's hard for us to get our heads around, but, but even today, I, there was an uprising in a Palestinian village not too long ago. And the Israeli police, as they came in to punish these people who hadn't paid their taxes, took their, what was their economy, they took their sheep and put them on a compound and said, you couldn't have your sheep back until you paid your taxes. An older woman came and, and begged for her sheep and the, and the police would not give the sheep back. And so um, the woman went and got her young son and the, the young son comes and he has a flute and he begins playing his flute that he plays when he's watching the sheep as a shepherd. And there's all these sheep that aren't used to being around each other, but then there's this small band of sheep and it's almost like they're talking to each other because they're coming out one by one to the music of the flute, the, the, the sheep that belonged to this woman. It's like they're saying to each other, like, like, Tommy, they're playing our song, man. They're playing our song. And he leads them out. This is what Jesus promises us as the door, as the gate. You will know which voice to pay attention to. So many voices clamoring for your attention. Jesus says, you'll know my voice. The second thing that Jesus promises is that you'll be led by God who has your best in mind. That God has your best in mind. And when he says, I am the door, I am the gate, I want to protect you because you have a longing for protection, he's not saying that no pain will ever enter into your life. See, while the Pharisees understood that if bad things are happening, you did something bad, in the New Testament, Jesus is actually, no, you will have trouble in this world. But take heart, I, I'm with you. And even in the pain, Jesus has your best in mind as your good shepherd, and as the door. The key for us then is, will we come under his lordship? In fact, let's move to how this applies to us today because that's really one of the questions that we should be asking is whose leadership are we under? Are we under the, the leadership of the thief called religion? Are we trying to behave our way into a relationship with God? Are we under the thief of rebellion saying, I'm gonna do what I gotta do? Like, I don't believe God has my best in mind? Or are we willing to submit to a Lord who's calling our voice and making choices based on what we believe pleases Him, even though maybe at times brings ridicule, discomfort, you name it, you, you know it, you're living it. Whose leadership are you under? Second thing I would just that would say to us that's really key in all this is to saturate ourselves in Scripture, friends. The Bibles we hold in our hands, the the Bibles that are on our our tablets and our iPads and on our phones, we need to remember that the the ink on the pages is not just simply ink on the pages; it's the voice. It's the voice of God that speaks to us. The Word of God is living and active. 
sharper than any two-edged sword, ability to cut between the, the joints and the marrow. That we need to saturate ourselves in Scripture because that's how we learn the voice. That's how we're, we, we, can, we can enable ourselves to be able to pay attention to what, to what voices are coming our way. We can test it against the Word of God. So we saturate ourselves in Scripture. We, we engage. Trina and I have been doing this for years now. One-year Bible plans, two-year Bible plans, plans. We're not doing it because it's religious. We're doing it because we're wanting to learn the language of Scripture. So in, in effect, I mean, we, if we get cut, we bleed Scripture. And that's why we do, in our house churches, we, we have some that use the Bible study curriculum that, that we've written, even for this series called Crave, because we believe that the scriptures are authoritative, and we come under the scriptures even when it's difficult and inconvenient and uncomfortable. We must be a people who saturate ourselves in scripture. And the second, the, the second thing I would say to us is that, that we, we must grow in the prophetic. Jesus says, he says, my sheep will hear my voice, which means he's still speaking. So we need to learn how to hear his voice. And not just for ourselves, but for one another. Individually, yes, but collectively as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says this. Um, he says, one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Hit the pause button there and just say this. Now more than ever, friends, we need to be strengthening one another and comforting one another and encouraging one another. This is, what, this is what the prophetic, prophetic voice does. If you ever want to know, is this God? Ask yourself the question, is this comforting? Is this strengthening? Is this encouraging? You can test it in that way. And Paul goes on to say, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened person. That's a real gift. That's a viable gift. And it strengthens a person as an individual. But a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. So... We saturate ourselves in Scripture to understand and know and recognize the voice, and then we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying because the shepherd is still playing the music. He's still speaking. He's still calling. And one simple way that you could grow in that is this next weekend, we have our healing prayer workshop. It has some prophetic principles in it. And if you're wanting to grow in that, that would be a great workshop for you to go to. But each of us has a longing for protection. And Jesus is speaking to that core longing. He says, okay, I'm your door. Don't let the thief of religion steal, kill, and destroy. Don't let the thief of rebellion steal, kill, and destroy. Let me be your shepherd. Let me be your door. Many moons ago, I was going to first grade. My brother was two years older than me. And anxiety and worry rose in me. And my dad told me, your brother's there. He'll watch out for you. You need to know the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus our older brother. He's ahead of us. He's already there. The things that you're anxious and worried about, you need to know you got a big brother. He's watching out for you. He's your protector. Let's pray together. So, Lord, wow, you're so good. Thank you for being good. Thank you for watching out for us. Forgive us when we doubt your goodness. You're fine with questions, Lord. But I think sometimes you're saying to us, like you said to Cain, be careful, sin is crouching at your door. Maybe you're saying that to someone today.
Would you just reveal your goodness to them and that you're trustworthy? Thank you that you're so great at being kind and loving. You love your sheep. Reveal your love to us today, I pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.